right, all right, all right. Welcome back. If you're a veteran and you're struggling or feel like you are leading a path towards the darkness, stop and think about those who are around you. Think about how they truly value you, how they will miss you. You are not alone. You need to talk to someone. Someone will listen to you. If you feel like you'll be a burden to someone or you don't feel like you should weigh that, put that weight on your inner circle, call the hotline at 988 and take option one. Don't make a permanent solution to a temporary problem. If you're a new listener, thanks for joining us. Please subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast apps. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel at the underscore Misfit Nation. It's the underscore Misfit Nation. This will keep you up to date with our latest news, episodes, and of course, our great guests. Our last, uh, speaking of which, our guest right here, he would like to not only raise awareness about the foundation of a new world and its goals, but also to raise awareness and teach people about the core problem of our society that is overlooked, not understood, and thought to be unsolvable. This core problem is our financial system, and it's designed to push our society to produce products designed to fail so they can be built again, simultaneously causing us to destroy our own environment, reproducing what is planned to be garbage as soon as possible, and pushing the majority of humankind into something close to, if not a form of indentured service. He would like the opportunity to shed new light on the subject and also a possible solution. So the Misfit Nation welcomes a veteran, U.S. Army veteran, and founder of the Foundation of the New World, a nonprofit that aims to build a system that can solve both human exploitation and the destruction of our Earth simultaneously. So welcome, Christopher Allen Ellensworth. Welcome, Christopher. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's great when uh, I have veterans that can come on the shows. That's what this show is designed for, is for veterans to have a voice, especially uh, one like yourself who is a uh, CEO of a uh, founder of a nonprofit or entrepreneurism to try to help others. You're not doing it for yourself. You're doing it to help the entire marble that we live on right now. And uh, you know, I'd love for you to give us a little more about your background, a little more than what I just uh, spewed on about there. If you want to tell us as far back as you want to go to how we got to where we are now, that'd be great. Okay. Uh, my background, uh, as you said, I'm a veteran. Um, how I got here, though, uh, is long before that. It was um, a prayer when I was uh, 18. It was a prayer that went farther than I would have expected it to. And uh, by the time the prayer was done, I ended up with more than what I had asked for. Um, I'd asked for a purpose in life, and I walked away from prayer, a prayer with uh, two. And this it has to do with that purpose that I ended up being given. And uh, just to keep it from going into too much depth, but... Um, sorry. Um, as far as this purpose goes, it was to help people um, in the grandest way possible. And over the years, I learned what actually needed to be done, what the problems were. And what I found, I mean, right from the beginning is uh, money. You know, money seems to be surrounding our, our problems. And the deeper you look into the subject, the more you find that until we address certain issues with our financial system, we're never going to get past certain problems. Uh, from human exploitation to all of us who work every day and really see no win in sight. You know, there's never enough money. The bills are always too high. They're always increasing while our pay either decreases or increases the rate much slower than the, of course, the rise and everything else to our environment and what's destroying it. 
and what our financial system is actually doing to encourage that destruction as opposed to discouraging it and making us more sustainable our economy actually pushes us to, us to become more unsustainable definitely and uh and as right now i have a mac on my desk right here that because apple doesn't let you update after so long it's just basically a giant paperweight over here and trying to find ways around it so I can keep it instead of just dumping it into some landfill somewhere. So it creates more of a problem down, down the road. I'm trying to, you know, try to bootleg it so it'll still work and operate off an external hard drive. So I'm doing my little part without uh, throwing that thing away right now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess I could get right into it. There's a, uh, as far as like what you just talked about, there's two main problems that uh, really push that situation. Um, Let's just say from a societal standpoint, you have job dependency and you have this GDP dependency. Now, with me, you and about 99% of the planet being job dependent because we are easily exploited for the fruits of our labors, we're in a situation where, of course, it doesn't really behoove us to make products that last longer. Because if you, if you made that same computer, let's just say, and it had a shelf life or not shelf life, but a, a usable life of 10 to 20 years. Well, that means that's that many less jobs for the microchips for the manufacturing for the uh, selling and distribution so you, you see right there like job dependency is actually it's doesn't really motivate us as a society from top to the bottom you're talking about the people you know the people who are doing it they need the jobs so if they know that these you know manufacturers are doing things that are unethical in order to uh, make you buy a computer every two or three years as opposed to every 10 or 20 you know, they're more likely to keep quiet because, of course, they need and want their jobs. Then you have the company who, you know, as we know, the companies definitely want to um, make their money. So and of course, quite a few of them can be you know, just as job dependent as we are. But uh, as far as those who want to just keep making money, of course, they're not motivated to make things last longer. And then, of course, from the very, very top, you have the government and. You know, they wouldn't want to make computers last longer than meant that, you know, they're going to have 5% unemployment rate or, you know, they're going to have to try to make that up somewhere. They're going to be more likely to just let it happen and turn a blind eye. And that's, you know, that that just goes over the job dependency aspect. When you get to the, um, the GDP dependency, you start to see that from the government's perspective, you have a much bigger problem on, in the same method or the same uh, way. You have the problem of, you know, the GDP system, if you're familiar with it, it basically states that you need to have 2% more uh, growth. That's gross or growth of your gross domestic product each and every year. So it doesn't matter how much you have, you have to produce more. And with that simple fact um, that you have to have 2% or more growth each year in order to be healthy, uh, anything less than 2%, you're considering a recession, which you probably hear that term thrown around quite a lot. And they talk about the recessions and depressions. Recession is anything less than 2% more than the total GDP that you had for your nation in the previous year. A depression is if you produce more or less than you did the year before. So with that simple fact, if you were to produce that computer, all those computers, and they lasted twice as long, well, now a country's GDP is cut in half. If you were to produce houses that lasted longer or, or any goods, you know, those that GDP is now cut for each and every country. If you were to produce a vehicle that required no fuel, no outside energy source, like an electric vehicle, let's just say, you know, the perfect vehicle with a, um, uh, what, what is the word? The, uh, 
the endless engine. I'm trying to think of the the, the word off the top of my head. No, I don't know. Uh, probably reusable energy, solar, or something. Yeah, you, let's just say you had a car that powered itself and didn't need an outside energy source. If you made that, you would be crushing GDP for many, many nations as well as jobs. So, really, you see, like there, there's a problem with their financial system on two fronts: uh, the GDP aspect of our financial system and the job dependency a- aspect. Because we're easily exploited and made poor, we're of course job dependent. So you see, it's really a two-headed snake that makes it to where, from the top down in our society, we really don't want to make things better. We really don't want to make things last longer. You know, if you're a tradesman, you probably hear it all the time when someone does like shitty work. Oh, pardon my language. When someone does uh, bad work, you know that's job or job security. Knowing that it's going to fail in a year or two gives you a reason to come back and fix it. And definitely, I think on your website, I read that uh, men and women are constantly uh, in a situation where you're working until basically until they die now because of that, um, because they're always there's always that new best thing and they have to keep up with that GDP. They have to keep up the inflation in order to feed themselves or feed their families and make sure that they're not leaving them with nothing when they go. And it's uh, almost like you're living to die. Absolutely. Uh, living to die and basically... It's hard to see in our society exactly where it all goes, but the fruits of our labors are being taken away and stripped away so that a few can live luxuriously and the masses live either on the edge or just barely comfortable as long as they continue to produce um, constantly until, like you said, until the day we die. And uh, that's where this comes in. That's where the foundation of a new world comes in. Um Everything about it is designed to actually um, address these issues. Even the naming of the Foundation of the New World, it's named this because, you know, our, our financial system is the foundation of our world as it is today. And in order to change our world, really change the biggest things in our world, we need to change the foundation of our world, which, of course, is why this nonprofit is named the Foundation of the New World. And the way that we're planning to go about doing this is by creating an economic system that actually addresses and solves these previous two problems that I just spoke about. Definitely. And uh, what year did you uh, actually found the foundation? I founded it just before COVID um, back in 2020. Yeah. Right in the beginning of 2020. So I founded it and then uh, COVID hit and um, we've been working to basically try to get uh, the, the word out and find different ways, different methods of doing that. And, we're finally just starting to get started as far as trying to build awareness because our goal, of course, in order to build uh, this currency, our goal is to build a small scale city. And of course, with a currency at the heart of this, and of course, give it to the people who um, work on it. Um, this is the, the goal of doing this and how it actually can bring this currency, which right now is theoretical into the world and into existence and to actually show it in action and prove that it actually works. And if there's any hiccups along the way to actually address it and fix it and to make sure that it works right. Awesome. How big is your team now? Uh, just a few of us right now. It's really small. Yeah. We're still just getting started. It's been a rough two years. Um, yeah, you can't plan a pandemic and you can't plan around one, but if you launched and probably thought, well, heck, this is some kind of evil kick in my chest. <laughs> right now to see if I'll stay in, stay with this and, and keep this purpose that I was, uh, that I prayed for all those years ago. 
I prayed and I wanted to have a purpose. And now you just gave me COVID. So it gives me a lot more time to plan and execute, I guess, to move forward. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so let's see. Uh, the uh, the system itself, the, the currency itself, that's actually supposed to address these issues. It's uh, It's called the hour. And what it actually does to address these issues is let's just take money for it, an example. Um, whether it's the dollar, the rupee, gold, what is the value of money? It's very arbitrary in its nature. Right, right from the get-go, whether it's gold or a dollar, it's it tends to be arbitrary and tends to be leave you in a situation where if you're buying and selling, you're asking yourself, like, how much is this gold worth or how much is this item worth? And initially, it seems to be that you try to find a fair trading value. But as it goes on, it turns into whoever has the better trading stance. Let's say, you know, if you take it way back a thousand years, you know, you have someone with an apple orchard and someone with money. And the person with the apple orchard wants to sell apples. Well, if that person has the majority of the money in the area and that apple orchard is one of a dozen, then, of course, that person with the apple orchard isn't going to get more of a fair deal. He's probably just going to get, you know, rock bottom, whatever they can uh, get away with offering them or vice versa. If you're the person just one of many people with very little money and that's the only Apple orchard, then of course they're going to charge as high as much has, you know, high prices as they can. Now, when it comes to this, you have to ask yourself, what is a fair price? And that's been a question for people for a long time. And right now we're operating on just whatever the customer's willing to pay for it. But if that goes unchecked and you end up with what's going on. It's more of a, as much as you can possibly get away with charging. And the system is actually designed to put checks and balances, not meant to stop people from charging whenever they want, but meant to curb it in a way that it actually shows the truth in the transaction, what the true value of it is. Um, like I said, it's named or it's named the hour because it's, it's base unit of a measurement is an hour which gives a true measurement of value. I mean, you look at what we're getting paid right now. We get paid based off cost of living. Uh, I'm not sure what, which area you're from. I'm in uh, Tennessee. You're in Tennessee. Okay. I'm in, I'm down here in Florida. And I'm sure if I did my same job where you live, um, actually I know for a fact, if I do my same job where you live, I'm actually getting paid more um, where I do it in uh, New York or Mexico. I'm going to get paid more or less based off where I am. And it's, you know, of course, based off of cost of living, how much they can, what is the lowest they can get away with paying you then up from there. Right. Whereas the hour, now you have a, with just by changing that one simple thing from a dollar to an hour, now you have a true measurable starting point. You can still argue more or less based on your, you know, what type of job it is, your experience, so on and so forth. But now you have a true measurable starting point as opposed to an arbitrary one where you're getting paid based off what you need just to survive, which basically leads us to the point where we are now we're working, getting enough to survive as long as we work the rest of our lives. And don't stop. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. We'll have to move to an Island off of Mexico to, to be, uh, I guess, happy and uh, live a fruitful life. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but, Oh, sorry. Sorry. Again, so I know um, Florida and Tennessee, they're, they kind of mirror each other a little bit. It depends on what part of Florida you And if you buy the big cities, I know the prices are a lot higher towards uh, when the tourists are in town, especially. 
the ebb and flow of tourism in Florida kind of pushes the the economic structure of Florida. Whereas here, you know, that only happens in about two cities in Tennessee where everything else is either farming or now we have a lot of uh, international industry that has moved here because of the tax breaks. So we have an act that still adds to our other part of this, the conversation, work until you die, because these are factories that you got to keep working in and they have to keep improving their product in order to keep selling. So it's going to keep that cycle going forever. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I know one thing that really gets me as far as going back to products, uh, I see it with the simplest of things and it really just, it, it really makes me angry and frustrated. Um, a can opener, something mm -hmm. as simple as a can opener. Um, they're being produced to fail. And when you look at it, like if you actually study the can openers and see how they fail, like they're they're literally designed to. I mean, they always say, "Oh well, if you're getting what you pay for, like you were, you you didn't want to spend more money on a can opener, so you're getting one that fails." Well, even if you go down to the store and you pick up one that's like ten times the other ones, they're still going to fail about the same amount of time. And I actually look at some of these, and you look, and the gears, you know, how gears work. They go together. You know, they right. go together. They turn. You know, that's how, of course, you you open the can opener, or you open a can with a can opener. Now, if you look at the gears they've designed, they actually take the gears and they put them to where they barely meet each other, right? As opposed to making them as deep as possible so they have a good solid connection, they barely go inside one another. And then, of course, as soon as they start to slip a little bit, they wear off the tips and, hey, they don't work anymore because the tips are now gone. Exactly. <laughs> like, you know, an eighth of an inch or a sixteenth of an inch difference in putting these things closer together and they would last longer. So... When you look at that, it's not really a, oh, well, it's just cheap stuff made in China. Like they're using cheaper metals or anything like that. No, they've literally taken the time to design flaws into many of our products. And like I said, you can go, I mean, I go down the store and I'll pick up one that's like, you know, $10, $15. It lasts as long as a 99 cent one because it eventually, you know, the, the gears just start slipping or some other part comes off. My dad has had a P38 on his keychain since 1958, and that's his can opener. And it has not failed, but it was made to last back then. As a, it's a simple object, it looks like a, a little tooth, a shark tooth, basically. And it's worked for him all this time. Every time I, I say you got a can opener, he comes up. Got it. <laughs> I actually went and I actually got one of those about a year or so ago. Um, my son ended up losing it. I think he doesn't like using it because, you know, they're small and you got to use them right. Or you might like, you know, I guess he like stabbed himself with it or poked himself with it. <laughs> I think he threw it away. I'm pretty sure he threw it away. That's my guess here. Um, But yeah, it, it actually, yeah, it can't fail. I mean, it's designed to actually work and last and they just don't do that enough anymore. And like I right. said, there's a, there's a big aspect to this. It's the GDP. When you get to, let's just say the destruction of the environment, Looking at our GDP system and the destruction of our environment. Um, uh, another aspect of the GDP system is not only, you know, do you need to produce more consistently every year, um, despite how much you have. There, the other aspect is, is how they weigh it. Um, one example that I read was that a pair of shoes. If you made, and this gets back to a lot of people who, you know, want everything 100% American made and wonder why like all the parts are imported and so on and so forth. Well, it, it actually comes a lot to the GDP system itself. And the way they explained it is let's say a pair of shoes is made in America. All the parts are made in America. 
America gets GDP credit for the entire shoe. Right. And that's it. Not all the parts that were made and then put into the shoe. However, if all those parts are made in different countries, you know, the shoe leather, the laces, the, the sole, everything, right? Those are all made in other countries. Now, all those countries get credit, GDP credit for all those parts. And then, of course, our country would get credit for selling the entire shoe that was manufactured and sold here. So you see with the GDP game, it actually makes it more profitable right. to have things manufactured all over the world and then shipped back and forth to be assembled and sold, which when it comes to the environment is completely destructive. I mean, right. these ships, these ships that are going back and forth, I, I, I looked it up and I think the average they said was 33 or 66,000 gallons of fuel a day. Wow. For one of these ships to go back and forth. That's just one. It's like 33,000 or 66,000. I'd have to look it up again. It's a lot. lot. (laughs) It's a lot. I mean, you're talking about what, like half a state's worth of fuel? I don't know. Like, a lot. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. How much fuel is that for one trip back and forth? I mean, I don't even know how many days. Just the fact that it's like that many, like 33 or 66,000 gallons a day for one of these tankers to go back and forth. And if you look at it and like, you have countries that literally export fruit from South America to like Thailand where they'll send the fruit to Thailand and in Thailand, they'll take it, cut it up, put it in a little package and they'll ship it to America or wherever else is buying a fruit. Think about that for a second. Wouldn't it be, you know, better for the environment if they had the packaging right near the, you know, place where that's making the the actual fruit. So you don't have to ship it to the other side of the world and ship it back. But (laughs) A lot simpler. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, you know, th- there's big problems with the GDP system and the way it works. And that's what we're trying to, you know, address. We're trying to raise the awareness on it, address it, and hopefully get people to actually follow it and do something to help do something about it. Definitely. And do you think uh, a lot of the, I guess, hesitation to change the methods of uh, how we do things, with, especially with the G- GDP, comes from, fear, uh, fear of changing a system that they've only known their whole lives or the only thing that uh, most of our leadership has ever known. Do you think it comes from that? That's fear of changing that to something they have, they're unknown about. I think it is a, there's, there's always a fear of change, especially for those who are winning, you know, um, those who are, you know, at the top rung will, you know, not want to change like, uh, just to say it's racers and NASCAR or something, you know, they're not going to want to, the, the people who are winning the races aren't going to want to be eager to change the vehicles or change anything because they're winning all the time. Even if there's something majorly wrong, they're less likely to want to do anything about it. And that of course goes with our financial system as well. Um, another problem is that, you know, people haven't really ever seen a solution to our financial pro- our financial system, you know, say money's root of all evil. Oh, well it's money. You can't really do without it. Well, that's, what have actually designed something, a money that does do something about it. And I guess I could get more into that. I kind of skipped <laughs> on that part a little bit. Yeah, you can, you can expand upon, upon a little more if you want. Okay. All right. So I went over the first, the first issue it really deals with. And that's the measurement system. You go from a arbitrary dollar to a measurable hour. Now the second part of it, it's the hour itself is made up of rules. Now, 
these rules uh, as front and back, they're printed on the hour itself. So imagine having a dollar bill with a set of rules that govern it printed on the money itself. So the set of rules, what it does is it prevents, it curbs greed and prevents exploitation. And the first three rules really sum it up, really help to create that circle. Um, the first rule is that a person should not be paid less than half an hour for an hour. Just a basic minimum wage concept, nothing new there. The second rule is that any person's pay of over three hours per hour is considered part of a company's profit. So you could pay yourself or your employees or whatever, whatever you want, but you couldn't sit here and pay yourself, you know, four or five, 10 hours an hour and not say that your company isn't turning over a profit. It is, right? Could you imagine someone, you know, uh, some company, you know, with the, the owner making millions of dollars a year and then say, oh, no, we're not making a profit. We're not making anything. Uh, we're going to have to cut back and um, take away your 401k and blah, 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 because, you know, the company's going down on the tubes. So this rule tends to prevent that. And the third rule, the one that really ties it together and forms the first layer of the circle to prevent greed and basically curb greed is that the price of a product or service before a company's profit has to be listed next to the price or the cost before profit has to be listed next to the price. And that makes it so that you can see what something is actually costs before people start getting carried away and, and greedy. And it's designed that way to where these people can still charge whatever they want, but it's going to be harder, especially for big things and the more important things for people to get away with just being greedy and basically lining their pockets saying that, oh, well, everything's just expensive. So, I mean, like, let's just say movies and stuff like that. You know, no one's going to really worry about it. Small things, people aren't really that worried about it. You're, you're trying to make some money. That's fine. You start getting to bigger things, your, your medical, your house, your, you know, your cars. And you start seeing these companies are making, you know, hand over fist off of this let's just say you go to the doctor right now you just get a bill it says whatever the, the bill is but with this it would actually take in mind what all the overhead is from the doctor to the insurance to everything all this overhead that they always excuse themselves for oh well you know it's so expensive because of the overhead because of this and because of that well this would actually take that in mind and show what the actual cost of their service is going to the hospital you know, that you get a bill for $80,000. This would show that maybe it's 30,000 with 50,000 of profit, whatever that number is, you don't know. But when people get those hospital bills and they see that, that profit margin, they're more likely to be upset. Um, and instead of people going to the government begging for, you know, universal healthcare and government paid healthcare, they're more likely to go to the government and say, these guys don't need to be charging this much. You need to find something else. So there's some other way to get medical care without having to pay these extraordinary prices. And that's actually where the, uh, the last rule of the hour comes in. And it's a, uh, it's rule eight. It is that if the need, if, if the needs of the people are being exploited for the profit of others, it is the government's duty to create or promote a competitor to provide the product or service at or closer to nonprofit prices. So basically instead of the government being obliged to provide the services for you, it's getting the government just to help create healthy competition, to help 
lower the price through creating a competitor or promoting a competitor that's willing to do it with whatever means necessary as far as you know maybe grants or non or non-interest loans or whatever they have to do to try to get a competitor that will sell it lower or offer the service lower yeah, I mean, that explains the hour to a T. Hopefully the audience was able to grab onto it. I found I was easy to follow for me. So I know I'm just a nug. I don't do a lot of financial stuff. So I was able to figure that out myself just listening to you. So it was pretty easy. I thank you for sharing that with us. How does someone get in contact with you, Chris, if they uh, want to just chat with you or for you to get your word out there more than maybe on another show? Um, contact through the, uh, the email is on the website. If you go to www.thefoundationofanewworld.com. Uh, you'll be able to find email uh, videos going into greater detail on all the eight rules, uh, why they're needed and so on and so forth. And um, there's a join us page. There's a donate button. Um, we always need donations. There's basically three things that we really need in order for this to happen. The first is of course, donations, because we cannot accomplish this without the funding. The second would be the, uh, the outreach. If no one's ever heard of this, even if, even if like, even if Rich right now gave me the money that I would need to do it all, it wouldn't work. Why? Because if no one sees that this happens and sees that this is done and sees that there is a better way to do things, then no one's going to be willing to change anything. And of course, the uh, third one is that after this is done, that if people follow it and they actually push that change, that those are the three steps that really need to happen. So, yeah, please, uh, www.thefoundationofanewworld. You'll find um, contact info, um, more information, ways to donate. And uh, thank you. No, thank you, Chris, and uh, any other hosts out there listening. Uh, don't don't hesitate to reach out to Chris Getamano so we can share the story and get more people involved with the foundation and maybe do some mind melding with him to get that word out there and get this thing rolling forward. Again, thank you, Chris, and uh, we'll, we'll be right back. Thanks for checking us out and being a part of the Misfit Nation. Don't forget to visit our website at themisfitnation.com. It's themisfitnation.com to catch up on all of our episodes and also to get some of that great Misfit Nation gear. As always, be humble, stay hungry, and keep hustling because we are 